Look at me. I'm not going to hurt you. Look at me. Oh, I was rather hoping you would. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. We are here for part three of Snake Dance by Christopher Bailey, the second story of season 20, where everything old is coming back, even if it's old from last year. Oh, yeah, that was... This was the oddity, wasn't it? This was the... Yeah, this is six months ago. Yeah, we're we're making this up as we go along, but oh yeah, it'll yeah, it just about works. The Mara was so effective. Who cares? Well, exactly. I think it made a. I think Kinder made a big impression, despite coming bottom of the Doctor Who um, magazine season survey for season nineteen because people couldn't get over the snake. Well, that is one of those stories, yeah, that absolutely proves over time you can go from the bottom to the top. Because now everyone, Mm -hmm. a lot of people, a lot of people and sort of prestige writers and things like that hold Kinder in high esteem in this era, don't they? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, the fact that Time Flight didn't come bottom, came came rather near the top, it beat Castro Valva in the ratings for that that year it's madness in the resurrection of dollars come top of 21 it did and you know who voted i i I voted for resurrection of the daleks top of 21 because as a child i didn't the case of androzani was too grown up for me as an eight-year-old i was not ready to appreciate that till i was much older it's too grown up for me now what are you (laughs) (laughs) but that's how how it goes uh this is it. That okay, as we were saying in part two, Doctor Who in this era is completely eclectic. From week on week, you get completely different styles of story and storytelling, and that I think is the strength of the Davison era. It doesn't always come off, and sometimes you get because uh, we've got two studio-bound stories this year, um, which is uh, Snake Dance, obviously, and Terminus, mm. and one is a terrific. Um, piece of television, and one is not. Well, I suppose it is Enlightenment Studio Bound. I suppose it is. Isn't oh, it? it is really, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. There's no location footage for that. So we've got three big, big stories that are not out of the studio. So, do you know what I think about season twenty? Okay, I think it is the weakest Davison year, and that is because mm-hmm. I don't like Arc of Infinity. I don't really like Terminus, and I don't like the King's Demons. No. Mm-hmm. Um. But I do admire a lot of it. I feel like every story's got a good, solid, like science fiction idea yes. at its heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eric's Award is kind of exploring different ways of telling stories. Yes. I feel like in 21, he's kind of got a mastery on how to present that dramatically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, there's there is a lot of exposition, a lot of corridor wandering, a lot of you yeah, know, and mm-hmm. terminus is the center of the universe, you know, things like yeah, that. Yeah, and it's a lot of it feels clunky and unsayable, and you can see the actors struggling with it. I think particularly in terminus, terminus, I think suffers because it should have been a big, ballsy, exciting, dramatic Doctor Who story, and the director and no one quite gets that it's sort of operatic and so it's done on a doctor who scale and it's so it feels very generic because yeah the the veneer costumes are very 
operatic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? Mary Ridge is such a great director of Blake Seven. Yeah. Clearly, and there were production was... issues there. Yeah, and yeah, oh, she had a terrible time, and it it um, I think she did a big article about it in one of the Doctor Who yearbooks in the nineties right. um, about her experiences on it and how just it destroyed her because she'd never brought a production in um over budget or over time and both this just happened on this doctor who nothing worked right but there was talk as well wasn't there of shelving enlightenment obviously the dalek yeah. story of this season did get sh- so there yeah. was all kinds it of was chaos kinds. yeah i mean they Is lost four episodes and uh, no 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 this was just industrial action i think at the bbc Jeez, and strikes. so do you know yeah. what and <laughs> the older I get, the more strikes annoy me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Sarah Sutton was upset because she didn't get to do her last scene on her last day and she had to come back and all of it. There's just chaos behind the scenes this year, I think. So the fact that something as quality as this emerges. Yeah, or enlightenment against all the odds. Maybe that's a testament. I'm dead, I think. Yeah, well, lots of levels. And it's really clever story. I once had a very interesting conversation with two gentlemen about that one. You know, did you? Oh, really? <laughs> Sounds good. I have to look that up. But I, well, I tell you what, I've got a question for you. But let's press play. Okay. And right. Then I'll ask we'll get question. going. Okay. Um. So, uh, shall I count us in? Yeah. Go on then. Okay. Cinq, quatre, trois, deux, un. Off we go. So my question is this: then, is we've kind of talked about Kinder. Yeah, we talked about something else, obviously. Well, which is the superior story? Ooh, I think it's probably this one for me. I think because it just works a bit better. Uh, there are things I absolutely adore in Kinder. The relationship between the Doctor and Todd is just beautiful and peter davison is never better than when he's got a liver bird with him oh you know, i was about to say to you people really kind of rate him and polly james but i just don't think it's got holds a candle to him and neris hughes in no i think they're both very good but him and neris hughes are just really really good and the scenes in tegan's head are wonderfully weird and that third cliffhanger third, yeah, oh yeah with it's the, the end of everything down, which i don't know what it means or what it's about but it's really cool and stylish and wonderful. I've got a, I've got a, like a succinct answer to my own question. You know, I okay. think Kinder is probably the better story, as in mm. it is bolder, it's more experimental, yep. mm-hmm. um, and sort of the direction is really avant-garde, like it is uh-huh. out there. But Snake Dance is a better Doctor Who story. Yes that's it mm-hmm. and it it has enough plot to fill four stories it has a linear narrative uh-huh. got a corridor wandering you know like yeah. and we've got an episode of the doctor locked up he's locked up for the majority of this episode but he's in part still... three of course <laughs> yeah but he's still finding things out and he's still active and he's not passive while he's in there no it's yeah uh, yeah yeah Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just a yes to each other. You, yes. <laughs> You're right, you know. 
I love this prison set though. Yeah, it's again, it's a nice piece of design with the sort of slanting up um, bars and things like that. So it feels like you know what it is, but it also feels part of this culture. It's different to what you would do here. And again, the the scenes on film with Dojin are really weird and yeah. creepy and odd. And it's almost like it feels weirder for going on to film as well. Yeah, it's like they're out. It, well, it's the, the BBC thing of if you're on film, you're outside. Yeah. And so this is the equivalent of being outside. And it feels hot and like a desert. Look, I see. I love that look. You see that spiral staircase at the back of the set? Yeah. It does feel like it goes off somewhere. It, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they keep almost going up it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then he what? stops. What the hell is she drinking? That green stuff. I, I dread to think. <laughs> Sigh, when I realised your room was empty, I very nearly raised the alarm. But I didn't want to start you. <laughs> I would be surprised if your room mm-hmm. was empty. Oh, no, sorry. I've got to stop insulting you on this thing. <laughs> oh, this is great when he's like, Mother, for the last mm-hmm. time, will you leave me alone? And she's positively a front yes yeah it's such a great relationship Mm -hmm. this yeah but it's very much a mum with a teenage boy whose moods are all over the place i was talking uh with mark doggett mark doggett mark doddick (laughs) about fury from the deep and how that's a very strange story because it has very story. Like a very naturalistic work setting and a very naturalistic relationship between the Harrises. And it feels mm. like we've stumbled in on a bit of a soap, you know? Yes. But with mutant seaweed coming out, trying mm-hmm. to get everybody. Um, and I feel like this is a good one to compare it against because you have a, a domestic relationship between um, Tanha and Lon. Yeah. But it's so much more interesting to watch because it's a little bit heightened. It's a little bit period drama. It's the dialogue yeah. is a little richer, mm-hmm. and I think that's what Doctor Who does at its best. It takes like relationships we understand, mother and son, yeah, and it doesn't and then, present them as a soap opera. It presents no, it takes them... it to a different level, yeah. And it's just and and I think actors respond better when it is a little above naturalism, you know, yeah. I think, yeah, particularly in this era, I think because they're all um, theatre actors and they're all used to being a little, a little more uh, heightened and bigger performances, they respond well to what what was sort of derisively termed Doctor Who acting or sci-fi acting. Well, sometimes you have brilliant it's absolutely con- right for for a story like this. Sometimes you have great contrast as well. Because I, I find it really interesting when you've got someone giving like a very theatrical turn and someone giving a very naturalistic turn in the same scene, which is exactly yeah. what you have here with Ambrill and Chayla. Yeah. Jonathan Morris is playing everything subtly. And, and John, John Carson, Carson is playing it just that <laughs> little bit bigger. <laughs> I still believe they're from the same world, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because you meet people like that. You meet academics like that. Can I say as well, Jonathan Morris is so pretty. He's really oh, hot, isn't he? Mind you, Martin Clunes ain't that pretty, right? But I think he's got the most kissable lips on television. He's got, yeah. And he's got a swagger. I know. And basically, charisma. 
I want to be Amber right now and go and lock the door. <laughs> 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 I want to take you down into a dark, dirty cave. All right, let's go. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, Nissa gets to all the, all the sort of dashing about in this episode, doesn't she? Yes. Hunt mm -hmm. the key. <laughs> We're back to the celestial toy maker. I want to love it when he talks about how unsophisticated the lock is, but yes, that means he can't but it, it works. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> we don't have a solid screwdriver anyway. Mm -hmm. No. Was you sad when that got destroyed in the visitation? Yeah, God, I love the sonic screwdriver. Uh, see, now he's got to use bits of string and paper clips and things, mm -hmm. you know. Which is what he wanted his doctor to do. So My favourite one is when, you remember in um, Two Doctors, and he pulls apart that lamp to open yes. the door? Mm -hmm. I love that. <laughs> don't know much about art, but I know what I like. <laughs> and we like snake dance. Mm -hmm. But the, um, so this is your, I do think this is your typical episode three. I The doctor yeah, it's the out. Yeah, exposition, it's um, chase and capture. The plot doesn't really progress much from no. two, two to four. And there's not a lot of Janet Fielding in this episode either. Obviously, they're saving her for the climax. Yes. Mm -hmm. But this is where fantastic actors, you know, really come into play. And I still think it's effortlessly watchable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what John Carson just did there with the, almost like the double take of I've just spotted what you've got. Oh my god, that yeah. Do you, do you know what? Right, when we cut back to him in a second, yeah, um, you can see. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it was before. There he is. There's a, there's a, like one second of him before they said cut, and you can see him smiling, and then he suddenly yeah. goes really serious, like. Mm -hmm. scattered but, yeah he is all about the trinkets and the wealth and the having things that no one else can have and even when like the situation is clearly a lot sinister than he's been led to believe he's still bewitched by the fact that he that the prestige of having all of these you know trinkets exactly and it's the mara giving him what he wants so that they so that the mara um can get the great great crystal it's all about sort of appealing to your baser nature and his base nature is the objects and trinkets that he thinks no one else understands and are lost and are really valuable and beautiful and so because he dis he's desperate for those they can manipulate him and get what and tegan the tegan mara can get what she wants well, we don't need to watch the rest now. Now you've explained there it. There we go. I've just explained it. Sorry for everyone. Thank you very much. That's very, very mm -hmm. well put. Um, uh, you've got two, talking about some naturalistic performances, Davison and um, Jonathan Morris. Yeah. I'm not sure that would work as like a doctor companion relationship over a long period of time because they're both. No, mm -hmm. no, no one's going to bring the drama. Similar. Away. Yeah. No. and um, But this is clever. With the Punch and Judy show. Oh, yeah. Which tells the story of Manusa and the snake. It's absolute. Oh, God, everyone had haircuts like that. Oh, God. Oh, it's the Adric cut. It is. Isn't this funny coming after the, the hurdy-gurdy scene in Ark of Infinity with a load of kids? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 
This is not an era where you get lots of kids, but suddenly you've had them in Castrovalva, you've got them in Ark of Infinity, and here... Do you know what? I always find Punch and Judy shows a bit sinister, you know? It's they are, violence. They are. yeah. Lots of violence. Yeah. I like it when it goes... Go away, go away, snake! <laughs> <laughs> and it goes... But, uh, but that was still very much part of the seaside holiday experience that all us children were having. My um, grandparents had just moved to Western Supermare at this point. So we would go and stay with them in the summer and go and watch Punch and Judy and go for donkey rides and go for a ride in the marvellous um, TARDIS um, adventure um, ride. So we had one of those things where you put your money in and the TARDIS would move up and down <laughs> and you'd sit in it and it would be making the TARDIS noises while you were there and, oh, and clips the theme music. So you'd go and you'd have your own TARDIS for a bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was on the pier at Western Supermare. So again, this is adding extra detail, isn't it? Yeah. And the again, it's. Yeah. And again, it's it like, is tordrifying the past. Yeah. It's a children's story. Oh. Be, be good or the Mara will come and get you yeah. and it will come and eat you. Which is, which is to do with exactly like Grimm's fairy tales and things like that. But that's yeah, a lot exactly. of those Grimm's fairy tales are based yeah. on actual events, aren't they? Yeah. And so the myths and legends have grown up because people have forgotten what the actual um, threat of the Mara was. So it becomes a, a story to scare children. Right. Just like Doctor Who. Yeah. Mind you, you know, the thing we mythologise most now on Doctor Who is Doctor Who. Yeah, which is weird because he was never like that. <laughs> but like Power of the Doctor, which we've just had out recently. Yeah. Absolutely fabulous, may I say. Mm -hmm. I mean, that mythologised Doctor Who in many ways, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. But that all comes out of the Doctor Who fans of the 90s and the new adventures and them not wanting the doctor, the wanting the doctor to be a proper hero like you get everywhere else, and so making him a lonely god and a vengeful time lord, and forgetting that actually he's a bumbling eccentric amateur, and yeah. that was what appealed. And then obviously, then that gets taken up by the new series because you have the time war, and so he does become this figure. And I think, in some ways, you lose something fundamental about the doctor and. And all of this, I don't. I, it's a difficult one to know. But... I, no, I don't disagree with you. Actually, I think the how they've kind of mythologized the Doctor in the new series compared to this sort of trampish improviser. Yeah, of, it was more impressive when when he wasn't you know the center of the universe and yeah. the basis of Time Lord society mm -hmm. and, and the lonely god and all of this and scraped through it with fifty one percent at the academy at the second attempt. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, I love you it. Know, but he came to something when he left that. And that's what I always liked, and the fact that he, I liked the doctor when i was growing up because the doctor wasn't like anyone else i knew i tom baker's doctor was not like any adults i knew peter davison's doctor was not like any adult i knew but i loved him for that and he wasn't interested in all those things that adults do but he just wanted an adventure and one and you wanted to be dragged along and you liked the curiosity and, and everything else but you know what i loved about the conclusion of jodie whittaker's 
journey was that they'd gone through this whole you know oh you know she was the template for the time of society and she she was found in the lost desolation mm -hmm. all this mythologizing and actually that all gets forgotten about in power of the doctor and it's like actually i don't give a shit about that and the conclusion that is drawn is she's a very kind person yeah. who has lots of friends and i just love that i love that yeah, because actually none of that really matters it's so when, an extra layer to the doctor but at but the she end does of the her day, final act of um freeing uh that creature at the end and that's the last thing she does yeah. before she regenerates. i was like yeah that's a perfect way that's for it perfect okay. whereas when david Tennant went out in end of time and had an entire chorus and the whole yeah. time this exploding around it oh good grief it's just too much <laughs> yeah i mm -hmm. well it's like peter davidson isn't it the, the, you can draw parallels because peter davidson ultimately dies in a moment of kindness saving yes exactly saving perry yeah and there was the lovely juxtaposition of yaz carrying the doctor in the same way yes. the doctor carried perry at the end of case of androzani which is not what is happening in snake dance <laughs> <laughs> sorry we always go off on a tangent one, in last, episode one last thing about power of the doctor yeah oh yeah. hail chris chibnall for not allowing time to mellow tegan in the slightest Absolutely. and she's yes i do want to go into the tardis <laughs> fucking grump as she ever was that's perfect i <laughs> that you know people were so um worried about what chibnall would do with the characters of ace and tegan and he was absolutely spot on with both of them well speaking of somebody and i'm talking about you now uh as somebody where this doctor and companion was such an integral this story you know yeah. was an integral part of your childhood when you saw davison and fielding together in power of the doctor that must oh. have tapped into something in you that that broke me to be honest i was just and it's just that moment where he said where she said i missed you and yeah. he just said i missed you too and i never forgot it was just none of that didn't that all rang true yes and absolutely. it's surrounded by and it's not consulting each other as well yeah exactly and you're looking older <laughs> well, i can say the same about you <laughs> yeah. absolutely, that that's exactly the, the fifth doctor and tegan and it's yeah it was just just perfect what's interesting is i feel like there wasn't a huge amount of nuance in their relationship back in the 80s but what's happened is is they've developed a friendship over the last 30 yes. years and that is that was just beaming out of the power and they could bring that yeah to all of that and yeah but it did all start here you know yeah it did and if they hadn't have had this and 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 janet fielding was a companion for a long time and I mean, she was there from early 1981 to early 1984. And as a child, that was a long, long stretch to have have someone in the TARDIS. And she was, yeah, it was, I kind of forget because I, because when I, my, my TARDIS team was always the Doctor Romana and K-9, Romana 2. That was, and I spent, <laughs> I spent my childhood in the Davison era thinking about Tom Baker because I loved his doctor so much. And he was the doctor to me. He, he will always be the doctor to me. 
And so it was all right. Peter Davison always registered. He was the doctor, but it wasn't until later on, again, this is coming back to the era, sort of years later when I was getting the videos. But I had I, I had some of season 21 on, on video and the five doctors, but I hadn't realised how much this era had meant to me until I came back to it. Yeah. At the time, it was just new Doctor Who, and it wasn't it wasn't my doctor or whatever but absolutely peter davison was my doctor as well he he was my first new doctor and so that makes a big impact um so i i, I think i spent sort of the three years he was in the role kind of dismissing him because i i was thinking about tom and john and the older doctors because you were exploring the past as well as the, the new stuff as well through dwm and things so Peter got short short stripped, but when I saw the stories again in sort of the early nineties, I I remembered what I'd loved about it at the time. I, I um through doing Hamster, I have some opinions of mine that were firmly entrenched. Have done a one eighty, mm -hmm. some haven't. <laughs> That's <laughs> That's <true>. <laughs> <laughs> um. But you know what? The two biggest are my opinion of Janet Fielding as Tegan yeah. and Sylvester McCoy as the Seventh Doctor. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy both of them now in a way that I didn't use to before. And no. that's through um, hearing other people's experiences or other people revealing layers that I wasn't seeing. Uh -huh. um, and I think when it comes to Janet Fielding, her performances uh, in Big Finish, where they tap into the humour of the character brilliantly, and Janet Fielding gets to play the character yeah. as a very funny character. And I'm like, I could have done with a bit more of that. Yeah, and well, yeah, well, this is it. And JNT is still reacting against season 17, mm. still. And he, Peter Davison is a funny man, and his comedy timing is magnificent. But he won't let him be no funny he would let him be witty and when he does get to do that in frontios particularly where you got to see where the walk's not right and then there's the accent and things like that and he's <laughs> dashing off those lines and he's wonderful it's so good to watch and if, it, I mean, if you want a great example well if you want a great example of how funny she can be go listen to time in office which is the story set on gallifrey where davison basically has taken up the mantle of president of gallifrey post the five doctors and janet fielding's tegan is the power behind the throne and she it's just it's comedy gold mm -hmm. oh we've both gone quiet <laughs> <laughs> so i was just trying to work out where we are in the yeah we, we went off on a massive but you know no. what like <coughs> celebrating somebody like janet field absolutely i think, think we should i i think we all have companions that mean something to us so we can't always explain why and sometimes it's just because they were there for a long time when we were growing up mm. and I mean, you look at um lucy and this is her era, and these are her her people, and I'm the same. I'm around the same age. They meant a huge amount to me. And if you spoke to people my age, this is this is a wonderful TARDIS team. The Doctor, Nissa, and Tegan, great. And we only get 
four stories with them as the TARDIS team on their own, really. You know, because I came into the series post or right at the end of the classic series, yeah. So my yeah. first team when I was watching it live where I'm like, this is my team, is Tennant and Tate. Yeah. And I remember mm -hmm. watching that season going, this is my Doctor Who. This is it. This yeah. My TARDIS this. <laughs> And that's why they'll never be bested for me, I don't think. No, because we have, yeah, we have an ideal TARDIS team, I think, in our heads. And as I've said, it's the Doctor, Lala Ward and K9 for me. That will always be what, I, if I think of Doctor Who, that's that's it. That's who they are. And yeah, if you'd have said to me, oh yeah, him from Casanova and her from the Catherine Tate show. Yeah, you'd have thought. I'd have been like, <laughs> yeah, it's just uh -huh. line. I believe they might be returning to our screen sometime soon. I believe they might be. It's very <laughs> I know. Look, we're heading up to that cliff. Oh, here we go. Oh, oh. Quick. This cliff was oh. a result of a three hour conversation between Eric Sword and Christopher Bailey. Like, how do we end this and episode? At Sword Point. Nissa screams. I mean, but you know what? Right, many, when people talk many... about the cliffhanger resolutions being so poor, this is the worst. Where she just goes, "No, don't!" <laughs> <laughs> it's up there with Battlefield Part One. Kill them, kill them now. No, don't. <laughs> oh, that I always thought that was a really disappointing cliffhanger to a very disappointing episode of Doctor Who. But that's a different story. As well, where he's about to be beheaded and someone yeah. just goes, stop! <laughs> you know, like... And and then they do it in the visitation, the very next story. And he even says, oh no, not again. What's bad is... Child, that was funny. That was Bailey... Really Bailey has a track record now of about five cliffhangers that have worked really well. So yes. I don't know what went wrong here. No, because that cliffhanger in Kinder, where they're going to open the box. Oh, yes. It's incredible. Yeah. That is so tense and so brilliant. In a way, it shouldn't be. <laughs> and I, I love the resolution to that as well. Though, yeah. I laugh. because the, Yeah. The and then something out. happens. Yeah. It's really That's well placed. so smart, yeah. Well, whereas this one is just... It's just it jeopardy. Is, it's a pause in the action that they have to make so they create false jeopardy, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, there's because there hasn't been much action in this episode, you need a bit of something. But in this era, uh, the part two, uh, the part one and the part three cliffhanger were resolved the next day. So it didn't necessarily have to be a huge cliffhanger or a big cliffhanger because you're not bringing people back in a week they're only got a day to wait so it always tends to be i think the part two cliffhanger that is a an interesting one or a different one i might be wrong about this i haven't thought this through I'm and now i'm trying to think of now i'm trying to think of what the cliffhangers are in in this what's the part two cliffhanger to Morgan undead um is um Ah, Mordrin turning around in the TARDIS. Oh, that's right. You're supposed yeah. to get the Doctor. That's it, yeah. All right. What about Terminus? Arc of, uh, Arc of Infinity is the Doctor being disintegrated oh, in the Termination yeah. Machine, Ooh, which is really good. He's being executed, good. isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's good. Terminus, I have no idea. You know, I can't remember at all. Oh, I think um, it's some dreary, like, oh, now I'm going to kill you or something like that. You know? Yeah, but... Yeah. 
part two of Enlightenment is Turlo falling into space, which is That's super brilliant. creepy and weird. Yeah, that is a brilliant cliffhanger. Yeah, I think you. I think so, you're right. so, saving... yeah, so, part one, you always get a good cliffhanger because it's a part one, and except Arc of Infinity is the Doctor being shot by the next Doctor. Marvelous. That's not... Oh, okay. That's a, <laughs> that's a part three of of snake dance cliffhanger you know he's going to be all right yeah i mean i i, I will point at the hinchcliffe era and say that was the era for cliffhangers like they yeah absolutely i mean those are memorable and they worked hard on those and but it was the... not the era of resolutions <laughs> oh no, jesus christ <laughs> but the um the 80s ones might be more intermittent like the classic cliffhangers but when That's they hit you... remembrance one um, yeah, Androzani three, Earthshock one. You know that when they hit, that was a point, big yeah. smack you around the face, and you exactly. Don't mm -hmm. And not any Colin Baker ones really. I think other than Vervoids two, I think is superb. But is again, it... it's because they... two, what the woman in the, the isolation the half. Yeah, the half. Yeah, yeah. I love. Um, but yeah, it's once. They think, oh well, we've got to have a close up of the Doctor's face. You, you don't get the interesting cliffhangers then. And when well, you've only one. got one, there's one. Avengers of Aros and cut it. One. Yeah. Now, and when yeah, and when you've only got one cliffhanger story, you want to make it a really good one. But Attack of the Cybermen is kill them, kill them now. No, no, no. Two doctors. You know, oh, it's him falling Two doctors has the shock eye chase, which is really oh, good. That's, that's good. a great yeah. cliffhanger. What's the time lash one? Oh yeah, unhappy yeah. journey, <laughs> doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Most people depart with a scream. <laughs> Microcephalic state. <laughs> so that was memorable, but for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what the fuck that polystyrene <laughs> bust of Colin Baker was? Yes. I've no idea. <laughs> Well, I never thought the precognizance of my own death would be so affecting. Davros, <laughs> <laughs> he's a sick, he's a sick puppy, isn't he? He is. <laughs> All right, we won't just have a bust of him. We'll fill it full of blood as well. Yeah, that will really make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> they should have ended with Joe Bell coming on to Perry. That would have been far scarier. The resolution <laughs> and far more in keeping with everything else that year. <laughs> well, look, Si. I mean, we ha we've we've got all round the answers on this episode. We have. I think there's a reason for that, and that is because there part is a, three. <laughs> there is a bit of running on the spot. However, I do want to say though, I think you've got interesting characters piecing yeah. together an interesting mystery, uh huh, told through interesting dialogue. So I don't think yes. it suffers in the same way that your standard. No, it's not, suffers. and and this is not an action-packed story this is not an action story this is a thoughtful story and so obviously you're going to get time when you need to explore this culture and let the doctor work things out and i think that's absolutely fine Do you know i think it's hilarious about the last episode is the first half of the last episode they're literally all preparing for the climax like come on through the streets mm -hmm. i'm gonna set up the climax exactly. the story. <laughs> um but you know it goes back to what gary russell said in the day of the daleks commentary that i've heard just the other day in fact i listened to the all four episodes in one go gary there we go um you must have enjoyed that i did i thoroughly enjoyed that but he says exposition doesn't have to be a bad thing because you need to let people know what's going on and sometimes Can you can't that? show it no i mm. i don't think it's 
necessarily a bad thing it can be delivered in an awkward way exactly and i don't think this episode delivers it awkwardly it flows and you're finding things out steadily it's not all handed over and the doctor just reading out the book or or whatever or the moment i always think of as one of the worst bits of exposition in anything ever is in the film stargate which oh, has no. been an action runaround, <laughs> and it's a dreadful film. And I didn't like the series much either. Sorry, any Stargate fans out there. But I always remember coming out of the cinema and saying, well, that was a film full of action with two minutes where they walk around some cave paintings, which explains the whole premise of the plot. <laughs> and then they do some more running around and things explode and then it stops. And that was clunky and awful. And there are so many examples in Doctor Who of where that happens but i think it's far more subtly done here i think people think i'm mad i think the best exposition scene in doctor who takes place in the pirate planet episode three right and you've got about seven characters in the mentiad cave and they're yes. all and the doctor's going right you say this bit you say this and everybody's contributing and it's full of jokes so it's really funny and it's really informative but mm -hmm. it's pacey because it's coming from all these yeah. different mm -hmm. people Douglas Adams is a genius. And if wants to do exposition. Yeah. And you're getting different viewpoints on the same, yeah. same pieces and see everyone piecing it together. And the worst one is Timeless Children. Sorry, friends. <laughs> <laughs> what? Doctor Who by PowerPoint? <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut it there. I'll cut it there. <laughs>